Welcome to the Advancing Your Career in Academia podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Loren M. Hill, a coach and a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California. I'll be sharing over 25 years of tips, tools, and advice on advancing your career in academia. For more information, visit our website at theacclivity.com. Hi, this is Dr. Loren M. Hill, and you're listening to the Academic Career Coaching Podcast. Today, I'm here with Dr. Patricia Arredondo. I'm so grateful that she has agreed to meet with us today and have a chat. Um, I've known Patricia for a number of years. I consider her a mentor, a great friend, um, someone who I can go to in a pinch, um, and someone I can go to even when I just need to chat. So, Patricia, welcome, and um, tell me about yourself and uh, what you're doing these days. Well, good afternoon, or should I say buenas tardes, Dr. Hill. I'm uh, beaming in from Mexico City, and I have had the opportunity, uh, thanks to COVID, to be wherever I want to be to work. So I am uh, primarily in Mexico City, uh, engaged in my virtual consulting work. However, uh, I didn't get here accidentally, uh, as any of us, and, uh, you know, there's so much happenstance, but you also have to plan for where you end up. Um, and I'd like to say that I, I really appreciate Dr. Hill inviting me to have this conversation today. Uh, as she said, we've known each other for a few years, and, and there's a kind of sisterhood uh, when you have uh, uh, have shared interests and shared goals, and you can lend support to one another uh, informally, as she said, just for a chat, or you know maybe a little form more formally, uh, and and that's the uh, I think the beauty of having worked in higher education for a number of years and now in the consulting space. Uh, I always think of myself as an educator. And I believe that education is, is what helped me to unlock myself to, um, to what I do today. You know, that it was, you know, my own higher education trajectory, but then uh, staying in higher education as a faculty member for a number of years and then an administrator. What's, what I, when I reflect on my career, because it's about 40 years now since I uh, completed my doctoral program, is that uh, there are a number of milestones that were part of my career development. And, and those milestones really do begin with my um, you know, K-12 experience. I, I'd be uh, remiss to not include that because that K-12 experience is what set me up to think about education as a career, not psychology. I'm a psychologist, but it didn't, I didn't think about psychology. I thought about education, about being a teacher and about being a counselor. And that, that K-12 through 12 experience also uh, provided me some role models that I, I 
continue to recall as being instrumental to uh, my decision-making process. For example, I had a wonderful high school counselor, really a wonderful high school uh, woman counselor who I just admired, amazing. She's just, when, when you mentioned something about how I dressed and how I showed up, this woman was like the epitome of, of a professional woman. And not that other, I had a math teacher who was also similar, but, she, but I worked with this high school counselor and she was the one who assisted me in applying to college and so forth. Uh, and so the decision-making was uh, about going for a master's degree. And I thought about her, I thought about her modeling as a school counselor. And rather than going into Spanish literature, which was the other option, I went into school counseling. So as I look back on my career, there are these individuals who modeled and, and helped me decide things. Also in that K-12 experience, you know, I have to think of my, um, my family, my nuclear family, and, you know, going into counseling and psychology uh, was very much, I think, influenced. Uh, and at the time, I didn't realize, realize it about, you know, how I saw my family operate, which was a very close family and, and the strength of family and the strength of a Mexican-American family. And, and I, I pulled that into the work I do uh, because I, I know it, it, it occurs, if possible, people, uh, Mexican-American families like mine were very strengths-based, you know, very interdependent, very valued, very helpful to one another. And I, and I also have to mention that my, um, my uh, I think, achievement orientation really, again, comes from seeing my grandmother who pushed ahead after she was uh, became a widow. Um, and then my parents who were again, very achievement oriented on our behalf, you know, they never went to college, uh, but for them education for all of us, uh, there were seven of us was key. So this whole education theme is, it was in my life early and uh, influenced by different uh, sources, different individuals. So moving into kind of the professorate, I'll just jump forward to that. After my graduate, after my doctoral degree, uh, was, was something that was almost a natural. Uh, I, uh, I always saw myself in that role of a professor. It, it was something that uh, as an undergraduate, I had a couple professors who were very you know, senior and sort of very charismatic. And I thought, hey, you know, that's a cool role, even though they were men, but it was something about the, the way they engaged us as students. Uh, and I, I had the good fortune at Boston University, which is where I went for my doctoral degree in counseling psychology to have a professor who encouraged all of us who were part of his cohort to move into the professor. And, and that was, so that was a trajectory. We weren't going to be practitioners, albeit, you know, I, I became licensed as a psychologist, but he wanted all of us to be professors. And that fit for me. And so as I look at my career, 
over the years, uh, I've had a, a two-track career, uh, you know, one as an academic and one as a consultant, and they're almost equal in numbers of years. It's, it's sort of ironic how, how my career path went this way, but even as a consultant, I'm always educating. Uh, I'm always in an educator role. Uh, when I consult about how to plan a diversity strategy in a university or in a nonprofit, I'm providing an educational approach. I'm using an educational approach to guide the process. Um, you know, this is what should come first, second, third in your strategy planning. Uh, I, I find that <clears throat> I've always enjoyed um, administration and, and a lot of people think that's, you know, poisonous and you know that, you know, why would somebody wanna be an administrator in, in higher education? Um, there's something about being able to be strategic, to plan, to bring other people into that planning process and then to implement, that has always excited me. And uh, I have found myself as uh, in the academy, you know, starting uh, programs that then persisted over time because it was, there was a, a gap to be filled. Um, I, I, as a junior professor, I had, a, I started a bilingual bicultural counselor training program that was federally funded at Boston University. It went on long after I left. Um, when I was at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, uh, this is one of my favorites, is I, I realized that the <clears throat> School of Continuing Education where I served as a dean had no programs for women. And I thought, what's there something wrong with this picture? So we started, a. a we eventually became a women's leadership certificate, um, Dr. Hill, but we started with the Women's Leadership Conference and it has now gone 10 years and it's continuing because it's meeting a need. And it is also empowering women who participate. So uh, I would say I, I see education as, uh, as a vehicle as a vehicle to empower, um, as, a, as a means to um, think outside of the box, to, you know, um, to see possibilities, to see possibilities. So as, as an educator, um, as an administrator, and as um, Dr. Hill mentioned, we met when I was the president of the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Chicago. I have also found myself in a position like that or as a associate provost at another institution, a senior, as the only Latina, the first and only Latina to be in those roles. And, um, you know, when I, when I think about my trajectory, um, I, I, I know that I, stepped into a number of these positions because I had the capabilities, you know, of, of uh, serving, but also 
So, um, I, you know, became aware as so you scan the landscape and you say, well, gosh, there's like two women and there's certainly no women of color. And OK, I guess I'll do this, you know, if, because I usually got selected to do it or was invited in. So I think that's another um, I guess self-observation that I make is, is that when I've stepped into these leadership roles, it's not been for me um, so much as to um, demonstrate that we are capable of doing this. As women of color, we're capable of, of being in these senior leadership roles. And so I, 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 I will continue to do that. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is really um, fascinating. And you know, we've known each other quite some time now. And uh, one of the things that Dr. Arredondo knows about me is that I'm really never at a loss for words. <laughs> but listening to her uh, sort of recount uh, what led her to where we are now has been very interesting. There are some of the things that she's mentioned I, I had no idea about. And as she alluded to earlier, we were having a prior conversation and I was talking about when I first met her and uh, she was the president of the institution and she walked in the door impeccably dressed and, but yet didn't sort of, as my grandmother would say, put on airs. She was very approachable. And I was bowled over when I found out that HR had matched uh, me with her uh, so that she could be my institutional mentor. So to hear her say that she uh, early on saw a woman who, you know, was stylish and really made an impact on her. Now I wanted her to know that the same thing happened with us. And so uh, Dr. Redondo, I in your story, uh, you've talked about people who have made an impression on you, uh, folks that you have made an impression on, and how you had these sort of parallel careers. And mm -hmm. in those parallel careers, uh, I think that you and I talked before about sort of this um, I called it a crooked path, but you then later mm -hmm. reminded me that it was nonlinear. And so <laughs> on your nonlinear paths and meeting these people and stepping into these various roles, and oftentimes, um, as you mentioned, being not only the only woman, but the only woman of color, um, I, I wonder if you could speak a bit about the nonlinear path and how being a woman of color as a consultant and an academician um, have really helped to sustain you because I know you mentored me um, in the aspects of, okay, you're, you're a licensed psychologist, um, you're also an academician and there is a space there that can support you. So can you talk to us about that, um, that path that is mm -hmm. not so straight? <laughs> That's that's a, a, a great contextual uh, commentary to to uh, uh, invite me to speak, and I I, I would say my my nonlinear pathway 
started because I was told at Boston University that I was not tenurable. And I uh, found that pretty, uh, took me back because when you step into a tenure track role and, you know, your whole goal is to become tenured and, and move through the ranks. I was, uh, how productive I was. Uh, I had a grant, I had published man, you know, published refereed articles and, you know, was out in the world doing things. And it was a really important decision, uh, decision point for me because I could stay there on a one, you know, year to year contract, but that to me was just not uh, the way I wanted to treat myself. And, and I, this is uh, ironic because this is an academic career coaching podcast is I went for career coaching and I, you know, I had to get some other people's insights um, about, you know, what, what else is possible. Okay. So that became the opportunity for me to think about how to leverage my skills as an academic, my skills as a psychologist, and my interest in people and organizations, because I've always been interested in organizations. I, um, I took the opportunity then to do some research, some self-centered research, and I um, decided I was going to begin to do some consulting and did some uh, initial contacts with hospitals and places like that where maybe my background might be, you know, somewhat. I'm sorry about the noise in the background. Can you hear it? Yes. Yes. It's the loudspeaker who I think has decided to sit under my balcony. She's going away now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> some of the, the, the cultural excitement of Mexico City, okay? Yes, yes. I, I you know. thought, well, you know, that's something going on. It sounds yeah, very that's festive. Right. <laughs> yeah, she, well, she's, she's trying to buy your old refrigerator or your old mattresses, and then they come and take them away. So that happens every day, about three times a day. Well, let me just say that what I love about this is that it is part of the cultural experience, right? And so uh, as women of color, we know these things go on in our communities and um, it's okay, right? It is okay. (laughs) So please continue. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I I think what I, I learned from that first breaking away from higher education was that there's a whole world out there. Okay. There's a whole world. And I, the more I step into that other world of, of industry, if you would, the more interesting it became. And I engaged in women's networks in in greater Boston that otherwise I would have not bothered with because I was at the university. I also found myself in different types of networks, Latino professional networks that I would not have engaged in because of my professional associations. So this whole big world opened up and I, I, I thought about this we as psychologists are trained with helping skills, right? <laughs> and so 
what I was going to do uh, was not help in an organization, was collaborate. So, and then there were interests I had, which were in, uh, you know, working with women, uh, working with uh, immigrants that had been a longstanding interest. And so I just found places where those interests also aligned. And I did all the, uh, I, I guess I prepared myself in the way that one does when you're going to start a business. Because it was not just about hanging out a shingle, it was knowing that there were uh, a number of, of practices I had to put in place. And, and this is uh, something that you learned in your graduate program, certainly wasn't anything that you learned um, from your fellow academicians, um, because when we're in the academy, that's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. We are mm -hmm. there from, you know, sometimes sun up to sundown. Uh, the institution's needs are what are first yeah. and foremost. And so I appreciate sure. that you said you had a moment of, um, you know, reflection about they they weren't going to give you tenure, which is, you know, you the people listening to the podcast couldn't see my face, but my face dropped because I couldn't believe like, but I do know that that happened and sometimes still does. And mm -hmm. so to be able to sort of regroup and assess and say, well, they're not going to value me. I am valuable. Mm -hmm. So what, what can I do next? So the next thing you did was get some coaching and how mm -hmm. many of our colleagues or people we know uh, wouldn't do that. They would stay and really try to prove to the institution that, oh, yeah. you know, oh yes, please, please like me. I can do it. Um, you know, I'll raise my hand because I, I did that a bit before, you know, you stepped in and said, snap out of it. You don't have to take this. <laughs> it's a big world out there. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I thought I knew that before, but some, I don't know if it's some kind of magic dust that the Academy puts in your eyes and then you suddenly forget. Yeah, I earned a doctorate and I've got a job. So getting that career coaching um, was, sounds like a pivotal point to you. And then getting some business input, right? Like I'm going to launch this business and it should be done a, a certain way so that I can have some mm -hmm. success. So uh, I like that you um, are sharing that with us because it uh, is very important. What, what is, it's important. Also, what reminds me of is it, none of this is reflexive behavior. It, it really means, again, the word strategy comes to mind is, you know, you have to be strategic. And, you know, I followed my own logic <laughs> and said, okay, a one plus one equals two and then two plus two equals four so that I could move forward. Um, I wasn't, I mean, I, I think I have good intuition, but I also, didn't have, I didn't want to waste time. And uh, I, I know that there is some other knowledge that could benefit me, which is why I went to the small business administration, where I talked to an accountant, an attorney, all of those things that really, uh, to this day, are, are second nature to me. 
Um, but it fortified me at the time, so know that I had some grounding. What, what I also had was as, as, as becoming a consultant, again, speak, moving into that space was an identity conflict, I would have to say, because I was so tied to my academic identity. And then people who I knew would say, oh, how are things at Boston University? And, you know, thinking I was still there. For a while, I just fudged it and say, oh, all's fine. You know, they, they weren't connected to, to that world of the academy. But it, it was a, a pressure point for me personally. And what that caused me to do in the midst of, of launching my consulting practice, I still had a private practice, by the way, that paid all the bills initially. Uh, was that I continued to um, behave as though I was in the academy. I, I published, I participated in professional psychology and counseling associations so that my identity would continue to be uh, validated there and that I would have those contacts. I think that was a very good choice I made because I still have these connections over the years. What was important to come back to the consulting was um, when I talked to the people at the Small Business Administration, they told me it would take me about seven years to have to realize that I had a, a successful business. If I was still around in seven years, that it meant that that was the litmus test. And I, I found that a little depressing. <laughs> because I was ready to run and and yet you can't run you know it, it meant getting marketing done getting you know collateral materials etc cetera, etc cetera, getting a team of people so I have to tell you by the time I did get to, to seven years I had a couple of my biggest clients and it, it's kind of uh, ironic that that was the point at which then I could say, wow, I've, I've kind of arrived because I've got these big clients now. And then it all, you know, began to, to um, uh, expand. Um, what, one of the things that's important for me in, in thinking about working in the consulting space back then and now is how important the relationships are that you develop with a client organization. Um, and I approach all of these relationships as, as though they're ones that I wanna have to be long lasting. And even though the work ends, uh, I, I would always say um, the work ends on a, a very positive note that we have had a very profitable uh, personal relationship because you get close to the people you work with while you're doing this organizational change work. Um, well, I think I, that that's, go ahead. Yes, so I think that that is, again, we're we've started this conversation with relationships, right? People mm -hmm. who have, uh, we've seen, they've seen us, and we're sort of now uh, at the level of relationships with not just individuals, but organizations, um, because mm -hmm. you, uh, have some pretty big uh, clients. Uh, you are uh, a big name out there. You know, you've been 
recognized by the American Psychological Associations as, as one of the founders of, you know, Latino mental health, now Latinx, right? And so I think that uh, what, what I just reflected back on was this seven-year mark, right? Mm-hmm. And how uh, when I was doing the math in my head, I thought, oh, wow, that's so interesting because it seems like, you know, there are these seven year cycles of things that occur. And if the, your business is still around in seven years, well, that's great. Um, but in the first part of it, you might have one relationship. That relationship might be with your attorney or your accountant or the person at the Small Business Association. And then ultimately that turns into a client, right? And then over time, you have more clients. And so I, too, remember maintaining my uh, job in academia while I was building my private practice and Mm -hmm. then went on to build my private practice and then build my coaching business. Mm -hmm. So um, these identity shifts, if you will, or even expansions, Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes I've found that some people um, are sort of destroyed by it because maybe their identity is so tied up in being an academician um, and being at the university or the institution. Yes. And then when they're told no, they're just they're just devastated. They crumble. They mm-hmm. really can't find their way back. And so during those times, would you agree that it's best to reach out to someone um, just to have a talk or, um, you know, I know we could be embarrassed um, Mm -hmm. or feel like failures because sometimes academia doesn't throw you a ticker tape parade because you're Dr. Fill in the blank and you just got Mm -hmm. a grant or you just got a big publication. So would you say that reaching out to somebody uh, would be helpful in those times? It always is good to hear yourself talk to someone else. You know, as as clinicians, I remember talking to my clients and saying, okay, now you're going to talk out loud about what your confusion is, what you, uh, you know, your indecision is about. So now, you, now both of us are going to hear you talk about it. And you can talk to, you don't have to go to see a, a coach or, or clinician, but giving voice to whatever it is that's uncertain. Um, you hear yourself giving voice to it. I, I think that's just so powerful. And it could be a friend, it could it somebody you trust. Again, I, I would always say, and I just, an important question that you raise is, Talk to someone who's not going to be judgmental. Right. That's the most important thing. Someone who will listen and not judge you. Mm-hmm. Because you're in a, you know, I, I remember feeling in a precarious place. You know, do I leave the university? Um, do I go back to the university when that showed up a little later? And, you know, not just thinking about it and doing the cost-benefit analysis on paper, 
listening to other people and, and their observations, uh, people who knew, knew me well and, and again would not be judgmental of me. And that has, um, continues to be a practice I use, whether it's uh, today I talked with my marketing uh, colleague uh, who works with me in marketing and a potential new website developer. Um, you know, I have ideas, but, you know, I'm not going to say do it this way because I'm not the content expert in those areas. I want to look good. And they're going to help me look, make, have the company look good. And, and so consulting with, with them when I want to make change, when I'm, I'm in, indecisive about something that's important to uh, the career, my career, but my business as well. So with career uncertainty, I always say, talk to someone. That's great. That's so we would talk to someone, a trusted advisor, if you will, right? So it could be absolutely. a colleague, a mentor, a coach, a sponsor, a champion. Um, it could be someone in the institution or outside the institution. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm wondering if, you know, in addition to reaching out and doing a consult with someone or even mm -hmm. collaborating. Uh, are there any other resources that you think I, that would be beneficial for someone who's, you know, maybe they're having some issues, but there are some people out there who aren't really facing any challenges, but either way, right? Mm -hmm. What would you think would be a couple, two, three resources people should be thinking about in terms of career thriving, right? Mm -hmm. Career advancement. There, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think about the amount of social media <laughs> that's available today and, and the inspirational talks by other women. Um, so I'm just talking about women. Uh, the inspirational talks about women who really encourage other women to, to thrive, you know, whether it's Brene Brown or some of these other individuals who are, you know, logical great spokespeople uh, about how to continue to think about yourself in the future and, and what you need to do to get there. Because candidly, th this is a, a really important point. You don't want to have a crisis and say, uh-oh, you know, now what? Um, they're not going to give me tenure. Um, or, they're, you know, with COVID and all the higher education institutions shrinking, maybe someone's position is gone. Um, and what it says to me, and, and I, I think this is probably uh, something we should all consider is, you know, do your own have some checkpoints throughout your career to see, you know, am I still happy doing what I'm doing? Does this still satisfy me? Am, am I still growing in this work? And, and if you can have a, you know, kind of a brief inventory, three questions, you know, and then if the answer to any one of them is no, then you have to do a little bit more examining, okay, uh, how can this, be different or what, what do I need to do to feel like I am going to grow here? Uh, and, and so those basic questions 
I do think on YouTube, there are a lot of great inspirational uh, talks and they don't have to be long uh, right. By, right. by women who, you know, are doing it or have, you know, can talk about their own trajectories that they had some missteps. But what I have found, um, Dr. Hill, is a misstep is an opportunity. And not that I've misstepped, but a door closed, let's say. You know right, I mean? right. Yes. So, yeah. so that's, that's when, okay, the door closed. I was going in this direction. And so now I have to redirect myself so that I can be moving, continue to move in a direction that's going to be, um, uh, what's the word I want to say? That's going to fulfill me. That's going to help me feel fulfilled. And um, so, you know, move from consulting back to higher education, away from higher ed, back to consulting. I think the other part of my nonlinear path, just one more comment, is that I've moved a number of times. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would say that helped. Yes, yes. And so you bring us full circle to the nonlinear path in and out of academia, in and out of space and geography, um, in and out of institutions in and out of identity, right? Um, You and I are both psychologists, so we're very clear about identity and sometimes not so clear about identity, but doing that uh, reassessment uh, to make sure that you are on a path that is yours, right? So if it's, uh, you need to do a course correction, um, if you find that you are gone, you've gone off the path and you need to get back on, all of these things are sort of metaphors, I think, for life, right? And as we come to an end, this has been such a great talk and I'm hopeful that I can have you back in the future because this is not enough time. Um, How could we get in touch with you if uh, someone wants to reach out for um, a console, uh, Mm -hmm. wants to connect with you, wants to follow you on social media? And of course, we'll have all of your links in the podcast uh, so that you can Great. easily access. But, you know, what's your website? It's our redondoadvisorygroup.com, uh, one word. And it's a very bright red <laughs> website. Uh, I'm also accessible through LinkedIn at Patricia Arredondo. And I have met many, uh, great, made many great contacts that way. People who, who again, are interested in uh, Consulting, because to be honest with you, those of us who do consulting are pretty unique. Uh, Those of us who do coaching are pretty unique because in our world, uh, Dr. Hill, you and I have kind of created our spaces for doing this. So uh, in in, in many ways, we are also uh, demonstrating the possibility of, of Doing it, doing it on your own, or or, or kind of creating your own uh, industry uh, or space in the industry. And I think for women of color, this is a terribly important message to to send out. I agree with you, Dr. Ardando, and it has been an honor and privilege 
to know you and call you a friend and a sister. And I am looking at your backdrop at those lovely blooming bovengalias in Mexico City. And um, I, you had mentioned that they are coming towards the end of their bloom, but they look just stunning and magnificent um, as you do as well. And so thank you again for being on the podcast today. Once again, this is Dr. Loren M. Hill, and you're listening to the Academic Career Coach Podcast. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Dr. Loren M. Hill. You can also reach out to me on the website, which is theacclivity.com. Thank you again. If you like this podcast, please like and share and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you during the next podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's session. Thank you for listening. And if you're looking to advance your career in academia and you'd like to talk, please schedule a call on my calendar. It's a no obligation call and we'll have a quick chat and I'll see if I can help you out and answer any questions you might have. Continue to connect with me by going to theacclivity.com and on Facebook and LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe to the Advancing Your Career in Academia podcast and you'll be instantly notified when the new podcasts are available. Don't forget to like us. Music.